0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for High Velocity Radio.
1: Welcome to Coach the Coach, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time. Broadcasting live on the High Velocity Radio Show and the Business Radio X network. If you're a business coach and want to help more people make more money and own your backyard, Go to mybrxstudio.com. Lee, this is going to be a fantastic show. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast transformational business coach with the evoking genius, Mr. John Hitler. How are you, sir?
0: I'm very good. Very happy to be here today.
1: Well, John, before we
2: get too far into things, can you share a little bit about your practice? How are you serving folks?
0: Uh, generally, I work one-on-one with clients. Uh oftentimes they're CEOs, uh, venture backed, founder led. Essentially they're entrepreneurial. So I used to work a lot with Fortune two fifty companies, Fortune five hundred companies, and uh, I just didn't care for it. Uh so I, I like to work where more in the entrepreneurial ventures. And what I what I generally do is I scale businesses. So they say, Gee, we'd like to double. Perfect. Let's go. Um I like a challenge like that as opposed to a Fortune 500 company that says, you know, our sales were up 6.2% last year. We'd like to raise them to 8% this year. It right off the bat, even speaking that bores me. So, <laughs> um, yeah.
2: so now, so that's
0: uh, really we're working on scale for most, for most uh, businesses are working on scale.
2: So, when you're working with a corporate executive in a, a large enterprise, as opposed to a startup founder, uh, is there a different personality types? Are they driven differently? Are they wired differently?
0: Yeah, the, the the real difference is in ownership. If if you're the if you're the CEO of a Fortune 1,000 company, you work for the sta- shareholders, which is great. Um, but it's not like you own the bank account, or you bleed for your employees, or if you lost one of your, uh, big accounts, you'd be sunk. In an entrepreneurial business, if they've got a big client and they lose them, wow, they're really, they're now at risk. The CEO literally doesn't sleep because they're worried, you know, can we grow fast enough to keep everybody employed? Do we have to do a reduction in force? Do we have to borrow more money? Do I have the line of credit tied to my personal residence? Um, if we fall short, it's just a different animal and uh so it's for me it's more fun and it's also where i came from i I did nine startups myself um all bootstrapped so i did it with my own money and and fought that fight i enjoyed that piece of it and um uh, much different mindset than a you know a large larger corporation that's well funded and owned by shareholders
2: and it, it, do you think part of it is that they really aren't putting anything at risk? Like even their worst case scenario is they're going to exit with you know a multi million dollar uh, severance or a golden parachute. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and they belong to four country clubs with a private jet. You know, you don't see an entrepreneur that ever has that, um, and no entrepreneur kind of really wants that. You know, they 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 might want to build the next Uber. But they're not trying to become a Fortune 1000 company. Even if they end up that way, they still want to keep an entrepreneurial flair and a an, uh, more mature or what you might call a mainline uh, Fortune 1000 company that's been around for a long time. They just have a different sense about how they handle things. So uh, the entrepreneurs are the ones solving the world's problems and they're not worrying about, worrying about stock price. Uh, it's, it's just a different focus.
2: So one's building and one's managing.
0: Well, one's building and one's managing. The other one is solving a problem and the other one's selling a product. Mhm. And so you take uh well, throw some names out there. Take a take a household products company, uh Clorox. They're in Oakland. They're selling a product. Are they are they solving a tremendous world problem? Probably not. They're interested in selling more of their – they've got many products. Uh, the bleach, obviously, is the one that everybody's familiar with, but they've got a household product. An entrepreneur may say, uh, you know what, we're trying to solve a traffic problem here, and so we've got a navigation system for mass transit and for automobiles that reduces traffic and makes life more livable in big cities. Yes, they have a product to sell, but really what they're doing is they're trying to solve – a big problem. It's it's just a a, a more um, you get to a more mature state and you're selling product. And when you're at the beginning you're you start with an idea that will solve a big problem. And if it's a big enough problem, there's more money and more scale and more market. And if it's a small problem, you can say, wow we, we developed a uh jump rope for working out that's better than what's on the market yeah, we're solving a problem, but really we're kind of selling, selling. It's just, it's just a smaller problem that you're solving. And I like working with the entrepreneurs that say, let's take on a big challenge and solve it. And oh, by the way, we'll have a sale or a, we'll have a service of a sale or a product to do that. But really what we're connected to is the purpose and the drive to solve a big, a big challenge. That's, that's really fun.
2: Now, your your company is called Evoking Genius. How does genius come into play here? Is that you have to be a genius in order to do this, or can you become a genius?
0: Uh, So here's our outlook on that. Not only uh, are you a genius, our claim is that your genius talent is embedded in your DNA. You, You both are a genius and you have a genius. That said, if... Uh, Our theory is that it resides in your DNA. Like all your other genetic markers, you are given a talent that resides in every cell in your body. That said, if I put you in a a room and opened a suitcase with a million dollars cash, gave you a pen and paper and said, you get the million dollars cash, you can walk out of here. As soon as you write down your your genius talent that's different than every uh, every other human being ever in the history of mankind, most people say, I have no clue. None. And if that, then we send in three big ugly guys with brass knuckles and say, we're going to beat the crap out of you if you don't write it down, you'd still say, I guess I'm taking a beating because I don't have any, I don't have any clue. People can take on the idea that they have a genius talent, but most people have no idea what it is. And so we developed a trademarked process, two hours, start to finish, that gently teases it out of you we don't dictate it. We just have a frame that it, it kind of ends up in the frame and people look at it and say, Oh my God, I've been doing that my whole life. I had no idea. Wow. You're right. That, I, And then they start seeing how that is incredibly unique and powerful, but because it's at a genius level, most of us are naturally so gifted at it that it doesn't appear to us that it's genius level because you say, well, that's not that hard. Well, not for you, because you're a genius at it. For the rest of the world, they can't do that at all. And what if you redesigned your work and your parenting and your friendships and your spousing so that you took full advantage of how you were custom built? And then that's when the, the conversation gets really interesting. It's one of the ways we help people scale. So we say, well, what if you were a CEO by... Um, acting through your genius talent as opposed to reading a leadership book on the New York Times bestseller list and trying to be someone else's version of what a leader or a CEO is supposed to be. Because probably that's not you. That's someone else's version. It may be helpful, but if you're not that, you're going to have a tough time being that person.
2: So now by doing this type of, do you call it an assessment or you call it something else?
0: No, it's it's uh, so it's not a test. It's it's a two-hour conversation, and uh, at the end of which we you have your genius talent, like the talent you were given. We say it's a gift. Uh, the customized step-by-step delivery mechanism we call that how how you deliver your talent, and and the third thing is you that's on there as well is the purpose. The theory being, if you are given a gift of genius talent, there's probably a reason why. What what is that? Because that's the driver or the the fuel for your talent. I can give you an example. My my genius talent, and and stop me if this sounds like every assessment test. My genius talent is connecting. uh, Sorry, is creating seemingly impossible outcomes that address multiple diverse agendas. And most people say. What the heck is that? Where did you? I never heard that before. <laughs> that's that's the problem with trying to do this on a standardized assessment. Say, so where'd you get that language? Two people, my partners, teased it out of me. I, I would have never been able to come to that on my own. And That's why it's a difficult concept to do by yourself. But what it looked like is I'm great in a chaotic, uh, dangerous, and high-stakes environment. So coaching is perfect for me because people say we either we either double this year or our competitors will beat us and we're out of business. Oh, What was your best year ever? 35%. Okay. And you need to double this year. Yep. Perfect. Let's go. It's a perfect scenario for me. Uh, now, if they say we're at 6.8% sales last year, we'd like to raise our stock price this year by growing from 6.8 to 8, I'm bored out of my mind. Uh, my, my answer is why don't you just work harder or hire more salespeople because it's just not very interesting. But when it's impossible or seemingly impossible, I'm really well suited for it. And oh, by the way, that won't help me one bit if this Saturday I have to clean out and reorganize the shelves in the garage. It's, wor- it's that talent. My talent is worthless for that. My genius talent is worthless for that. So there's all kinds of stuff in life. Most of life is not very well suited for my genius. My job is, once I know it, is to to do as much as I can closer to my genius, and then everything looks like play, and that's fun. So with my kids, the way I parent is closer to that than some uh, parenting book on how to be a good dad or how to be a good parent, because um, that's not, I can parent better if it looks like seemingly impossible, if it looks like... Uh, taking care of multiple uh, agendas and everybody getting what they want. I'm really good like that. I'm not very good at parenting in any way.
2: So right. you're,
0: you're, you have the same, you have, sorry, you'll have the same, you'll have the same version, just your version.
2: Right. Now, so you'd be good with, uh, you tell your kids, let's go to the airport and just roll some dice and let's get on a plane and off we go. That's a, that's a good uh, outing for you.
0: Oh, uh, we, 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 Airplanes were always my favorite because I have seven kids and three of them are adopted. Uh, two of them are from India, three are from Russia. I got kids. It's a UN <laughs> experiment gone bad, if you will. And it, and it works out great. Uh, but when we would travel, the kids always thought it was like magical because I would write all their nicknames down when I got on, the, I'd write it like on a napkin while we were sitting in the, you know, the waiting area, waiting to get on the plane. Kids never knew it, and I would get on, and I'd go to one of the flight attendants. It's so simple, but we'd make things into an adventure. I'd hand it and say, hey, do you mind, once you guys make your mandatory announcements, could you say, would you please welcome to the plane? And they'd say, hey, uh, we want to have a special welcome to Sparky and Smiley. And they'd, they'd name all their, their, uh, their things. And the kids were like, oh, my gosh, this airline knows who we are. And they, like, it was magic and a big deal. Of course, it cost nothing. Right. And and for me, that's perfect. I couldn't do it where I'd say I'm going to make sure that my kids are well disciplined in the airport. We were nuts in an airport. We weren't disrespectful, but we were playing find a spy. I was making up all kinds of games. (laughs) With seven kids, you know, there's the last thing I'm going to be able to do All is find seven seats in a row in the waiting area. There's no chance of that. So we're going to be split up anyhow. So rather than try to, so we just take what doesn't really work about organizing that on a, trip and turned it into something that's seeming it's that's not impossible just more creative and adventurous I'm good as a parent that way I'm not the one that's very good at saying these are our rules and I'm going to enforce them and they're you know, I was much better at saying well you know what under these circumstances a different set of rules applies I was very, very open-minded to that sort of thing because that's that's how my brain works and, and it's much more correct, connected to my genes. And is my parenting style suitable for other people? Nope. Is it appropriate for other people? Not necessarily. It's that's but that's the better way for me to parent.
2: Now, in the in the workplace, how does having this information, like now that I have this information that I have these genius talents or superpowers or whatever you want to call them, now that I know that, how does that help me be more effective in the workplace?
0: Uh, it's a great. It's. It is the key question, so I can I can tell you we did about we did this process about 2,500 times, and one of my and we were frustrated because out of 2,500 people that now had their genius, like 15% actually did something with it. And maybe you've had that experience before, where you do one of the online assessments that's eerily accurate. You say, Wow, I did you know 30 questions in 20 minutes, and I got a report back, and it's it's amazing how accurate it is. And after about a week of being fascinated with it, it ends up either on your computer hard drive or in your desk drawer somewhere, and then you kind of forget about it. And a year later when somebody says, hey, are you a red, blue, yellow, green, or are you a EMJF or whatever, you can't remember because you don't really interact with the, the thing. The genius was the same thing. What we realized was we were doing the discovery, which is the two-hour piece, and then we were going right to implementation. Now Mr. CEO or uh, Miss. VP of sales or HR director or star player, you know, you're genius. Why don't you use it? And here's, you said superpower. So I'll use a superpower example. If you're superpower, let's say your superpower were Spider-Man. Same. You have those webs that you could shoot out of your wrist or your hand. And you, you've seen the Superman movies where he goes down Broadway, just right. And he just zaps. it. If you, you're not, absolutely 100 percent sure like if you don't own the po- the full power of the ability to shoot those webs will you ever go down broadway no never and we missed that we missed the fact that we were going from discovery to implementation so we were trying to coach ceos to use their genius not realizing that they still didn't fully own it so the real and the power is in the ownership piece. Once people own it, uh, then they use it naturally. Then, they, then they're then happy to use it. But most people, it's too powerful at the beginning, even though it's their language and we drew it out of them. They still kind of say, well, maybe I was lucky when I did that. Maybe, maybe that's just coincidental that I was really good on three different days or really good on five different occasions. But I don't know that I could ever do that. And the truth is, if we put them in the ecosystem or the playground where their genius needs to show up, they will absolutely excel time after time after time after time, even if it's not in their industry. If it's in their skill set, we could say, who cares that it's a different industry, the same parameters are present, you should do really well here. And they do and even then they, they're it takes a few times before they say, You're right, I can do this. Huh. And once they get that, then they just absolutely crush it. And what happens is work looks like play because they naturally want to, to take on bigger challenges in their, uh, genius talent, if you will, the theme of their genius talent. They, they'll volunteer. They'll say, could I run this year's holiday party? Cause I've been to the last four and they weren't worth having. I know I'm not usually in charge of this, but I'd like to volunteer and we'll have a great party this year. And say, well, you're not the, wait a minute, don't you clean the building <laughs> after hours? Yeah, I do. But if they know their genius talent and it's suited for throwing a kick-ass party, you, me, and everybody else would love for someone else to run the holiday party this year instead of the person that orders bad catered food, gets a bad DJ, and everybody drinks too much. Because that's not a very interesting holiday party, and we've done that five years in a row. Why don't we have somebody who's got natural skills, and of course interest and they would do a great great job at the holiday card because it's talent based, it's not position or role based. Now but that's what happens with CEOs. They start to really own it and they start scaling really well.
2: And that now when you know like yourself is you're more comfortable in a chaotic environment Does that mean, like, as a leader, you're like, I better hire some people that are really process and detail oriented because that'll kind of shore up some of the weaknesses that I might have?
0: It's, it's, that's one of the affects of mine is I'm a starter, not a finisher. So I'm really good at saying, let's, let's kick off a million dollars such and such, and then I'll get bored with it. Or, uh, I'm really good at getting everybody playing on the, in tune. And then I'll leave them. And maybe a month later, they uh, they sound like crap again in the orchestra. Oops, um, I'm not very uh, good with uh, process, procedure, order, or what you might call linear. Finish step one before you go to step two. Right. I'm much better at looking at the bottom and saying, what we really want to do is we want to fly to Mars. Well, let's get going. Uh, I'm much better at that than saying, oh, we have to do safety checks before we do that. I'm pretty, I'm much better at saying, Lee, could you, could you make sure it's safe? Cause we're going to take off tomorrow. And I'm, I'm much better at saying we're taking off tomorrow and getting everybody good with that. And if the safety isn't done, it doesn't occur to me, nor does it bother me. So there are, there are limitations for that. Sometimes dangerous things because I can move too quickly for, for some.
2: But, uh, and also you can create an environment where you're just doing the same, you're just filling the same hole, right? You're like digging yeah. a hole and filling the hole just over and over. <laughs> you have to have kind of the, the infrastructure in order to move on, right? So that they get the outcome they desire.
0: It's, it's, uh, it's one of the, it's what we call the dark side of your genius because too much chaos may be a good ecosystem for me but that's not good for a whole organization because most organizations don't work well on a day-to-day basis with lots of payoffs. So even though I might thrive better, one of the places where I do a lot of coaching is turnarounds. Oh, great. Because they have to take more risks because they've screwed it up so badly that I can come in and do anything because you need somebody in there catalytically changing things. And I go into a business that's functioning really well especially culturally, um, I don't cause I don't cause chaos in there. But what we have to do is we have to build from the top and say you're already crushing it. What if what if we doubled? And if they want to do that, we literally have to reinvent a successful company again. And that's a really fun project to take on. And in an organization that can handle that culturally, they love it. In an in a less risk um, tolerant culture. They'll say, why would we risk that? You know, if we just keep growing at 15 to 20% a year, we're still going to stay ahead of our competition. Why would we risk this? And I'm not a good fit there because what they want to do now is uh, maintain and grow marginally as opposed to say, why wouldn't we double every two years? Oh. It's, it, 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 neither one is better or worse but I know where I'll do really well and where I can help and I know where I won't do very well because I'll I'll cause too much turmoil or upheaval with, with people that don't have the risk tolerance to do it. That's fine. Neither, it's, it's not a better or worse or right or wrong. It's just they need a coach that's going to be more um, process oriented and move at a more uh, measured pace because that's what the culture demands or requires.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Coach the Coach, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time. If you're a business coach and want to help more people make more money and own your backyard, go to mybrxstudio.com. Lee, this is my favorite part of the show because we get to talk about me. John, uh, I am not out in the marketplace as a coach to the world out there, but I do find myself wearing kind of a coaching, mentoring, guiding hat here at Business Radio X, and my clients, if you will, are Business Radio X studio partners, those people who run studios outside of Atlanta in in different markets, and um, I don't know. I feel like there are some things in that relationship that I do pretty well. One is I do think I have some genuine subject matter expertise and with regard to how to help people, help other people and make money with this platform and that kind of thing. Um, What I don't know that I'm very good at, and I'd love to get some counsel on this teasing out the genius. I think I might actually be pretty good at that the first time or early on, but I wonder if you have any counsel for me or anyone else You know, as time goes on or maybe a studio partner has a tough day, some way to to remind them or bring them back to center. I I don't even know what the right word is to re-tease it out of them or or um, sort of is there a daily maintenance (laughs) kind of application of this principle of helping people um, remember, hey, you've got this you've got this genius, genius. Let's go back to center and. And, and reapply it
0: sure That's, so there's an offense and a, or an offensive and a defensive answer to that so i'll do both because you'll recognize them um, especially if you're having a tough day chances are you're doing something for which you are not well suited and you have no energy so, <laughs> so for you let's say it's a, a database project Somebody who loves that nitty gritty detail work thrives. And you say, oh my God, this is, this is brain damage for me. It takes me three times as long. I don't like it and I'm not very good at it. The defense is, uh, the safety or the defensive answer to that is look at what you've been doing today or what you've got on your plate tomorrow and see what you can do to find someone else to do this stuff for which you are not well-suited and you have no energy. But it's the combination of the two. Because some stuff you may be not well-suited, but you actually like it. We call, we call that a hobby. But uh, anything you're not well-suited for and you don't have any energy to, you tend to procrastinate and do poorly. And then you just flip it. The offensive side of that is to say, what do you love to do at work? Like your favorite thing. And it has either money or value attached to it. It, it may be a profitable venture or it may just, just be something that has, that produ- produces a lot of value for your teammates, for your customers, uh, for your partners, or your vendors. Great. Pick that out. And if you want to get back into high performance or closer to whatever language you might have for your genius chances are you're going to be closer if you are uh well suited and you really enjoy it you'll do that a whole lot better so that's the without knowing what your specific genius talent is that's the that's the easiest remedy to do it and do it both ways run away from the stuff that you don't like that drains your energy and run towards stuff that you love to do and produces some sort of value or or profitable and when I mean profitable in terms of not money profitable it can, it provides benefit for people that's that's the simplest way to do it
1: well well thank you for that because that to me that I feel like that gives me two very solid practical approaches to helping my client my internal client sort of navigate themselves through the through this challenge by bringing them to both of those strategies and and talking them through both of those, both uh, how do you characterize it, offense and defense? Uh, that's very helpful. Thank you.
0: You're you're most welcome. And anybody can do that because we all know what we hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's not a di- it's not a difficult thing. And at work, we all know our favorite thing to do. So you say, oh, can I take on that project? Yeah, you want to be on that team? Oh, yeah, can I leave that team? Sure, sure, if you. Yeah, we've been looking for a leader for that team. If it's well-suited for you, it provides value, and you love it, i for it. You'll have a blast at work. Yeah.
2: Well, John, uh, tell us about The Motivation Trap, your book. How'd that come about, and um, what are, what's in it?
0: Yeah, so I'll give you the short version. Um, one of the questions I asked in kind of a 360 with the with, uh, – with potential clients, I'll say, you know, what are your biggest frustrations? And what I kept getting from CEOs, team leaders, um, managers, some version of this. Well, one of my biggest frustrations is I can't seem to keep my my team members motivated on a day-to-day basis. And And my reaction to that was I wanted to puke on their shoes. Because the truth is, I'll ask you, how many days out of five, if you work five days a week, how many of those five days do you get a full night's sleep, have a great, uh, healthy breakfast, your, your spouse kisses you uh, before you leave, and there's no traffic and nobody flips you off on the way to the office?
2: If you're asking me, Zero. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty pretty good in that area. I'll you're t-
0: probably pretty good. <laughs> most people aren't in 100% fabulous. I am highly motivated. I, <laughs> I had an easy commute uh, got everything done. I was able to work out before I got there. My kids are a student. No, we, guess what? You show up to work in whatever state you're in. And I'll say it's a good state. You're at 80% out of a hundred. And you are, you are, you have made an agreement and you are, um, you've made a, a promise and you have a contract to do professional work. And it doesn't require you being super highly motivated. It requires you getting the job done. So the, the, the i kept getting this from people and when i would dig into it somehow they had motivation tied as a leadership tool and it's not and for two reasons one is this, it's short term in nature it's it's great in sports because you say man we played we played horribly in this in the first half and now they're in the locker room at the halftime and they're reorganizing and the coach has got to get them jacked up because they're going to have to make a big push to win in the second half it's perfect for that because it's short term. Motivation doesn't work very well day after day after day after day after day. And the easy way to look at that is if you've had kids and you try to motivate them to do their homework at the beginning of the school year, by about September 15th, you you got no bullets left in your gun. Because all you can do is say, if you don't do your homework, no video games, or if you get your homework done, we'll get ice cream. You either go positive or negative. And once they get sick of as many options as you can come up with, which is about September 15th, then how do you get the homework done without uh, a fight or without a hassle? The truth is your kids either want to do their homework and are reasonably disciplined and willing to do it, or you, you're in a confrontation with them for the whole school year to get their homework done because you're trying to use motivation for nine month, a nine month school year, you just run out of gas too fast. Companies are the same way. But why hard do you, to motivate people?
2: Why do you think yeah, that? Ahead. Why do you think that uh, motivation is so popular? I mean, there's motivational speakers. There's uh, every yes. weight loss program has a motivation component. Um, all yep. the gurus lean on motivation, and that I agree that it seems to um, it, it doesn't work effectively over time. It doesn't help you stay compliant and it doesn't keep you uh, interested or engaged over time. It it works for a minute or an hour. They, they, you know, they leave the seminar, you know, you know, they leave the seminar fired up, but it doesn't take long for the book to be on the shelf. And that was that thing you went to last month.
0: Yes. And it's funny because I studied three of the most popular people. I I won't say their name, uh, but if I did, you'd, you'd recognize them instantly. And they make, they do 40, 40 million dollars a year in seminar earnings, all that kind of stuff. Uh, .32%, less than a third of 1% of the participants that come to a seminar a year later are anywhere close to achieving what they declared in the seminar. Because when there's high-end music and dancing on the stage and rah-rah and let's do this and claim the future and all that, in a group setting, it's it's, um, it's almost like a drug-induced state. And from a, from the pharmacology of our brain, it is because the dopamine and the serotonin are going great and you can do everything. The problem is it's all in your head at that point. And then you ride, you, you get home two days later and you realize the energy bill didn't get paid this month. And you didn't, you didn't, oh gosh darn it. I don't have enough, but they get, oh gee, and the kids need braces and, the real world sets in and you, you don't carry that forward. It's, you're already out of gas a week later. And the remedy, which I find obscene and I will use that word is that what you need to do is you need to go back for another dose six months later and pay another 4,500 bucks and go back to Phoenix or go back to San Diego or go back to Chicago or go, wherever you went and do another three or four days. And that's what you really need. Right. Bogwash.
2: Because the person, Bogwash. the person thinks it was their fault. That the information was so compelling and I was so fired up. It can't be the guru's fault. It has to be me. I must have done something wrong. I I better learn more and I better drop another five grand so I can.
0: But it's no different than you and I go into a a music concert where we say, man, every time I see that person live, I walk out of there walking on air. You do. And that wears off pretty quickly. (laughs) So, So It's the same. So you kind of want to go back because you say, what I want to do is capture that same feeling I had when I went six months ago. And that's probably right. I just didn't, I didn't incorporate or own the material well enough. I probably just need another dose. No you don't. No you don't. You need a, you need a platform that will work. And I'll give you a perfect example. Let's say you and I both, uh, want to get in shape to run a marathon. We're going to run it together. We're going to, we're going to, uh, do it as a team and you're going to do it based on high motivation and I'm going to do it based on habits. If my habit is to get my butt out of bed every morning and before I go to work, do my running. And if it's raining outside too bad, my habit is go do my running and yours is based on motivation. The first day it's 42 degrees and sleep You're going to say, ooh, I'm not too motivated to go out today. I'm out. It's cold. It's (laughs) rainy. Well, I'm out for today. That's the problem. Not that you're out of the marathon, but two weeks before the marathon, you're not sufficiently prepared to run 26 miles because every day you had to make a decision, do I feel up to doing my training? And it's a day-to-day decision, and guess what? It's like deciding to eat chocolate every day when you have a a fresh box of your favorite uh, cream-filled or nut-filled or whatever chocolate sitting on the counter, and every day you have to decide am i going to eat those or not. You know what? Much better to not have those in the house. (laughs) And if your habit is, I get up and I do my – I've got a training regimen, and every day – five days a week, I get up and do my running. And I don't think about it. And there are some days where I go, what am I doing out here in the rain? This is crazy. But I get my five miles in or I get my 10 miles in or I get my training in. Guess what? I'll be prepared for this. Habits aren't sexy. They're way more powerful. And they are so low tech. But they work. Especially in anything that has to do with uh, uh, repetition or physical training. Truth is, your body doesn't care whether you're motivated or not. If you go run your 10 miles, your body will get used to running 10 miles. Whether, you, whether you're whether you in a great mental state or not, right. it doesn't matter. A bad- and, and there's, the book outlines in order of power, in like effectiveness, it, it goes from low to high. but It outlines 10 or 12 much better tools and then even start combining them. Start with habits. And then what if you mixed habits with a high purpose? Oh wow. Yeah, we want to, we want to run a marathon and our team wants to raise 25,000 for a ch- an incurable childhood disease. Now we're, we're, instead of motivation, we've got purpose, which is much stronger. And uh, especially if we meet the children we're running for, if you meet the children you're running for, the, that you're raising the 25,000 for, you don't need to be motivated because when it is raining, you'll say, you know what? If those kids can go through that cancer treatment, I can get my ass out of bed and go run the miles today, even if it's 42 and raining outside. I'll go do it. Now, if it's motivationally based and you're not connected to a purpose and it's about you instead of a higher, higher purpose, Oh, well, it's just way more powerful and you'll, you'll, you're likely to succeed much better and purpose. You could, you could train for six or eight months and be connected to that purpose. And then Two years after the race, your your marathon, you're still connected to purpose because you're still connected to those kids. You're connected to the charity. You're connected to the cause because you you adopted it as your own, but you'll never be very well connected to running when it's 42 degrees and raining outside because your body just doesn't want to do that. Mine doesn't either.
2: Right. So that's a great piece of advice. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Uh, it was great information and, and great advice. If somebody wanted to learn more about your practice and maybe do a one-on-one CEO, but I, I know you coach teams as well, what's the best way to learn more about you and maybe get a hold of the book?
0: Um, thanks for asking. The, the I, I'm blessed that I have a very controversial last name, so I own the top million SEO searches in my name my last name is Hitler like the infamous but with two T's. So if you just google John Hitler, it'll it'll bring up anything and everything and no one else competes with me for that <laughs> SEO. It was tough as a kid but as an adult it's got its advantages so it's got it's got our website, it's got the genius discovery process, it's got the books it's got it's got anything you might you might want. Uh, and, very very easy to connect um, and most people don't forget the last name so
2: and of evokinggenius.com is the, a website to find your work
0: correct correct and if you go to again if you google the name that's one of it's one of the many things it'll bring up so
2: good stuff well john once again thank you so much for sharing your story all right this is lee Cantor for stampede and we will see you all next time on coach the coach radio